Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, July 26th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, find out how aggravated cruelty charges for a Mississippi couple are raising questions about how lenient the state laws may be. Some of the arguments that we hear from the legislators is that the, the courts aren't prosecuting to the fullest what's already on the books. Then we'll hear from advocates fighting against human trafficking as the waiting list for the state's only shelter for victims grows longer. And in our book club, hear from author George Mulvaney on his story of perseverance and redemption. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Advocates working to prevent animal cruelty say Mississippi laws are too lenient. This week, the Humane Society of the United States flew 83 dogs and cats from Mississippi to shelters in Virginia for care and adoption. The move comes after complaints about conditions at the home of David and Mary Ellen Senny near Ellisville. They're charged with one count of aggravated cruelty to a dog or cat. They're free without bail and face a $2,500 fine and six months in jail. Jones County Sheriff Alex Hodge. Um, This has been an ongoing investigation since May the 18th, uh, working with the Southern Cross Animal Rescue League and uh, eventually working with the Humane Society of the United States. Uh, Again, it was initiated on May the 18th uh, with a a complaint of some potential animal neglect. Uh, At the time, that's what we found uh, as the investigation unfolded. uh, We were... um, obtaining warrants and other things that would allow us to go uh, and completely get full access to the property to be able to uh, do a full-scale investigation. Once we arrived there, we did find uh, almost uh, 90 animals, dogs, and cats that were in deplorable condition, uh, health conditions, uh, just feces, uh, lack of food, uh, animals that had been well-neglected, medical, uh, severe medical issues, um, and we uh, immediately uh, seized those animals uh, and began care through a veterinarian, uh, through the Humane Society of the United States. Um, and uh, we were able to charge um, a couple uh, with a- aggravated cruelty. Um, all the Mississippi current law allowed was one single misdemeanor, despite all the uh, large number of animals and cats that we know um, most, if not all, were, again, uh, in very bad health. What do you think about what you can charge them with? Do you think that is uh, uh, a strong enough penalty? I'm hearing advocates say that the state is too lenient. I think it's something that we need to take a very strong look at. I would certainly be in support uh, of a felony provision uh, in cases like the one that we see here. When you look at the description under the Mississippi law that we currently have for a misdemeanor on an aggravated animal cruelty. It says if a person with malice shall intentionally torture, mutilate, maim, burn, starve, or disfigure any domesticated dog or cat or cause any person to do the same, then he or she will be guilty of the offense of aggravated cruelty to a dog or cat. If you just listen to the description in itself, I mean, those are strong words, and certainly they applied in this case. Um, And the only way we can go with a felony would be if it was a second occurrence, not second dog or cat, but a second time. In other words, if we come back again, um, they could be charged with a felony. I just don't think in this case, um, in cases like this across the state, 
that this warrants a misdemeanor. I think whenever you show this type of ill regard, if you will, for the health of, a, of an animal, um, and you have them caged up as it was in this case, um, and in the conditions that they were in, and you are there, you're on the property, um, and you fail to properly care for them in the manner in which they should have been, um, I think it certainly meets a higher level of penalty versus above a misdemeanor. Jones County Sheriff Alex Hodge. Jessica Johnson is director of animal crimes at the U.S. Humane Society. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier they assist law enforcement with cases. We actually run the nation's only reporting tip line for for animal concerns. We do not have any legal jurisdiction to respond to any of these cases. So when we receive a complaint, we reached out to the local jurisdiction and guide them through handling an animal complaint. And if a situation arises or, um, you know, goes past the local capacity, you know, which there are not a lot of local capacities that are able to take on a case where there's dozens or sometimes hundreds of, of animals on the property, then our team comes in to, to assist with that. And we provide handling, transportation, evidence, documentation, all of that. Our, our team also assists with uh, disaster response as well. What did you do in terms of the Hattiesburg area situation near Ellisville? So we responded uh, with the with a cooperation from the Jones County Sheriff's Department. So they were handling an animal cruelty case that that was over the, the, their local capacity. So we uh, partnered with them to assist them in the handling, transportation, removal, uh, evidence documentation of uh, almost 90 animals on a property in Ellisville. That's a lot of work. Do you send a team in to help? Oh, yeah. We had a team. There were also local uh, local folks there from the Southern Cross Animal Rescue who uh, who assisted on scene as well, as well as the uh, Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks and the Jones County Sheriff's Department. How serious a problem is this issue of animal cruelty or animal hoarding? Uh, well, animal cruelty is, is a problem throughout the country, there, and there are lots of different types of, of animal cruelty. So it's, I mean, it, it's a problem, and it's getting more attention, and, and the laws are improving. A lot of the laws still need, still have a, a long, long way to go. For instance, in Mississippi, with this case, they were only able to charge one misdemeanor count uh, because that, that's all that the law allows. So you would like to see that changed? Yes, Mississippi is one of only two states in the country that do not, that does not have a felony level cruelty charge for an, an egregious act of, of animal cruelty. Are you involved in lobbying at all? Uh, my team is not. Our animal rescue team is not involved with lobbying, but we do have representatives from the Humane Society of the United States. We do have divisions within our organization that do assist with lobbying. Can you tell us what you come across, what your teams see? Uh, well, our, our team handles everything. We, we do large-scale animal cruelty. We do multi-species. We do dog fighting, cock fighting, uh, puppy mills, commercial breeders, things like that. So it really depends on, on what kind of property we're coming up to. But uh, we, we aren't invited in uh, from the local jurisdiction unless the property uh, that, that we're talking about is at a point that's past compliance, so to speak. So uh, a lot of these, you know, organizations go in and they see whatever the conditions are, you know, are, are, are pretty poor and uh, they're not really able to, to be improved for, for whatever reason. So uh, that, that's when we come in from there. 
And lastly, in terms of effectiveness, if you were going to tell Mississippi lawmakers what would be best in terms of improving laws, what would that include? Definitely a, a felony level, if it arises to that. Obviously, not not all animal crimes rise to a felony level, uh, but many do. So, you know, if you if an animal starves to death, you know, the animal goes through weeks and weeks of suffering, starving to death. You know, that would be considered in most states a felony. If um, you know, if you brutally attack an animal animal and cause its death through beating or, or stabbing or something like that, you know, that should be a felony. So there are things that should be considered, you know, felony animal abuse. And with the laws that they are now, if you do those things, it's only one misdemeanor. The other thing would be to allow multiple charges instead of the limitation for one charge. So again, for instance, in this case, there were almost 90 animals on the property, many of which were suffering uh, at a level that you could charge for. But by Mississippi law, the Jones County Sheriff's Department is limited to only one misdemeanor charge instead of multiple counts. Humane Society Animal Crimes Director Jessica Johnson with our Desiree Frazier. The next opportunity to change the law is in January when the state legislature reconvenes. The Senny couple is scheduled to appear in court on August 9th. Coming up, we'll hear from advocates fighting against human trafficking as the waiting list for the state's only shelter for victims grows longer. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The birds outside your morning window are either the sweet sounds of the morning or a nuisance to your eardrums. But have you ever wondered what type of birds they are? Join us on the next Creature Comforts when our guest bird watcher and fossil hunter, C. Peterson, is back on the program to talk about the birds of Mississippi. The summer is a great time to bird watch, so join us and get some tips and the names of birds to look for on your next bird watching trip. This morning at 9 a.m. for the next Creature Comforts, heard on MPB Think Radio and online at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Advocates are recognizing statewide efforts to crack down on perpetrators of human trafficking and to help recover victims. The Mississippi Center for Violence Prevention is marking one year since the opening of the Tower. That's the state's only shelter specifically for victims of human trafficking. Sandy Middleton is executive director of the Mississippi Center for Violence Prevention. She tells MPB's Ashley Norwood the shelter provides therapeutic services, treatment, and case management. One of the things that is crucial in investigation on human trafficking is the victim, because the victim is the case. And so not only because the victim deserves to have care and restoration, but because it's the victim that is able to help prosecute the case against the offender. So if we really want to stomp out trafficking in the state of Mississippi, we have to make provisions for our victims. And it's been real frustrating for law enforcement as they go and work these cases and they're on the side of the road and they're at these hotels and they're finding these victims and they haven't had anywhere to put them. There's literally nowhere to put them. And still in the state of Mississippi, we don't have provision for our child victims. So um, we've still got a lot of work to do. You talked about um, possibly opening another location because you're all full. Over the year, about how many victims have you seen? We've seen over two dozen victims in the in the past year, and um, 
so the place that we had, we've already way outgrown and we have a waiting list. And to have a waiting list for victims of human trafficking is just not cool. It's just not, we've got to do better. So our, it's, our, it's our intention to uh, construct a new facility to be able to house additional victims. Talk about some of the services you offer. Uh, the Tower, which is our human trafficking shelter, offers everything you can think of to restore a victim. We have uh, case management. We have all the different treatment modalities. Um, the therapeutic piece is so big, and, and we work from a holistic approach to um, you know help them to just facilitate a normal life. They have to just get used to living a normal life and free from abuse and free from trauma. And so it and sometimes it can take years to make that happen. Have you seen that at all um, over the years? Some someone who might have came in as a victim and they have been able to leave and transition into normal life? Yes, we have been able to see a few victims who have gone through the whole process and who have assisted with their uh, the case against their perpetrators and they are so grateful and so empowered and just so happy to be free and to live a life of peace and normalcy. So yes, we have been able to see the success of the program even from long-term victims from a while back but prior to the opening of the tower. So we know that our program works. It's evidence-based. Uh, we did our homework. We talked to experts all over the country, and we know that we have an effective program that works. Middleton says they do offer services for male victims at other locations. She says she hopes to also meet the needs of children in the future. There's presently no specialized services for children in the state of Mississippi, and that's one of the things that Shared Hope Shared Hope is the national expert when it comes to child sex trafficking and uh, when they do our report card, they've come in and said, well, the two things that the state of Mississippi is lacking is specialized services for victims, especially children, and uh, training for law enforcement. Because you really have to learn how to investigate these cases, and it's not something that your typical law enforcement official just already knows how to do. So those two things are something that you would be um, advocating for for the future? Absolutely. We are constantly advocating for law enforcement training as well as additional beds and services for victims. The organization also looks to another facility in the future. The tower was funded through a federal grant. It was funded through a VOCA grant. And, of course, we had to match it. And uh, But we're, the, we're looking to construct a new facility. And uh, most grants don't pay for brick and mortar. So we're going to be looking to the community for support to get that done. How soon do you think you want to start that? Girl, tomorrow, if I can find the money. Sandy Middleton is the executive director for the Mississippi Center for Violence Prevention. Thank you so much, Sandy. Thank you so much for being here. At an event in Pearl this week, the Center and the National Human Trafficking Hotline awarded the Mississippi Federation of Republican Women for their efforts. The group sponsored billboards off major interstates that display the number to, to the HELP hotline. Vivian Daly is president of the organization. She says it's an issue all Mississippians should support. It's important for Republican women and actually everyone in the state of Mississippi to be involved with this because it impacts the lives of not only children and teenagers but adults as well. Half of the cases are with children 
and half of the cases are with adults. And these are people who have no control over their lives or what they what is happening to them. And when they have no place to turn, they don't have the resources that they need to be able to take care of themselves and their families. We've had women who've been torn away from their families. Their children are left without any adult supervision. We've also had teenagers whose parents have been searching for them for years because they do not have any place to turn and the parents don't know what happened to their children. So it is a drain on our people of Mississippi, brain power, physical power, all kinds of areas when there's no one there to take care of these individuals. Mississippi U.S. Attorney Mike Hurst supports the advocates' efforts. He tells MPB's Ashley Norwood his office is working hard to keep women and children safe. As the lady said, this is just a terrible, terrible crime, and so we're trying to go look around the state, trying to figure out where the problem areas are, and trying to marshal our resources, as they said, with other state and local law enforcement to try to combat this crime. Um, I have five daughters at home, so this is really, really um, important to me and important to our office. And uh, we've, uh, we've been looking at it for a while, and I hope to really act on some things here in the near future. Is there anything new happening um, and any uh, discoveries with human trafficking in the state you could tell us about? Well, nothing I can tell you about, but uh, with uh, us being between Atlanta and Dallas, New Orleans and Memphis, I mean, we're kind of a center point when it comes to human trafficking and human smuggling. And so we're seeing it every day, sadly. And so we're trying right now to figure out how to combat that and how to stop it. Hearst says the public can help fight trafficking. Well, as the, these ladies said, uh, if you see something, say something. There's a lot of uh, websites, apps, telephone numbers. Uh, anytime you see um, things kind of out of the ordinary, whether it be at a gas station, whether it be at a truck stop, whether it be at a hotel or a motel, um, you can contact us, contact state law enforcement, and we can get out there and investigate. Information for victims or, supervi- or survivors is available at the HELP hotline at 888-373-7888. Coming up in our book club, hear from author George Mulvaney on his story of perseverance and redemption. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The court-imposed deadline to reunite families has arrived, and we'll be on the Texas border reporting on what life is like for immigrants and the lawyers working to help them. Well, I don't want to give up. I'm going to stay optimistic, even if everything's going against them. I'm Ari Shapiro reporting from South Texas on the effort to reunite parents and children this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Cups Up is a memoir written by Mississippian George Mulvaney. The title is drawn from the wake-up call shouted at prisoners. The book's full title is Cups Up, How I Organized a Clavern, Plotted a Coup, Survived Prison, Graduated College, Fought Polluters, and Started a Business. Mulvaney chronicles his roller coaster life going from a high school dropout to a college graduate, from an ex-Klansman and ex-con to widely respected top executive in a company, a 
among other transitions. Mulvaney was also instrumental in leading cleanup efforts following Hurricane Katrina, so much so that both former Governor Haley Barber and Governor Phil Bryant have written praise on the book jacket. He tells us he got involved in the Klan while home on leave from the Navy in 1978. There was a lot of Klan activity going on up in Tupelo. Made a trip up there and ended up actually joining the Klan while I was up there. Did you have the views of the Klan growing up? I do not remember, recall any kind of racial animosity or problems that I ever heard of as a child in my family. But it's beginning with integration, really when I was at, at Bailey Junior High is where I really began stereotyping African Americans and taking and forming a, a very negative viewpoint of African Americans. All started in seventh and eighth grades. So you join the Klan, you're in the Navy, and you encourage your fellow sailors to do the same. Yeah, I actually formed a clavern on board the ship very covertly. Did not want the Navy to know about it and began recruiting and rocked along for several months and before the Navy actually found out about it, but had recruited about 5% of the ship's company were members of our clavering at that time. When did you leave the clan? I was discharged on uh, New Year's Eve of 79 and got involved with the local clan in the Metro Jackson area, and it didn't take long at all before it unraveled. I, I pretty quickly realized the clan was just a bad organization, I'm not saying I changed my racist viewpoints, but I realized the Klan was a bad organization. It had been a mistake. Have you changed your racial viewpoint over the years? Yeah, it's an evolution. You don't change overnight. It takes decades. I don't believe in just a miraculous overnight change, radical change in one's beliefs and behavior. Mine was an evolution that took place over years and even decades. You went to prison because you plotted a coup. Yeah, I was convicted of conspiracy to invade a foreign country with the intent to overthrow the government, the Caribbean island of Dominica, and was arrested outside of New Orleans, uh, preparing to board a boat to go down, was hired mercenary, and ended up serving a year and a half in prison. After prison, you graduated college, you fought polluters, and started a business. How did that all happen? I didn't want to spend the rest of my life in and out of prison like so many of the other convicts around me were repeat offenders that spent more of their life in prison than out. And I made a conscious decision to better my life, become a better person. When I left prison, I got a job. I worked, paid my way through college, took student loans and worked the entire time, got a degree, went to work for the Mississippi Department of Environmental Quality. You know, we, we talk about lighting polluters. We worked oil spills. There were a lot of oil spills that occurred in the, some of the exploration and production areas of Mississippi. A lot of bad actors and went head-to-head fighting with some, with some real bad actors that were spilling oil and not cleaning it up, sometimes dumping oil in creeks, trying to catch them and fight them and penalize them, put some out of business and Spent 10 years responding to chemical spills, oil spills, buried hazardous waste, and built a good name for myself. It really gave a lot back, I think. I think I did a lot of good work. Probably the most rewarding part of my entire professional career to date has been my 10 years at DEQ. 
What does Cups Up mean? Cups Up came about in my first day in an actual prison. I wake up that morning, I'm sitting on the edge of my bunk, and I'm hearing somebody yelling Cups Up way down the cell block. And as I'm hearing that, I'm sitting there having a conversation with myself about this is not the life I want to live. Where have I gone wrong? How am I going to turn this around? Finally, somebody pulls outside my cell, and he looks in at me, and he yells, Cups Up. I didn't know what he meant. And I looked at him, and he says, you want any effing coffee or not? I sat back down on my bunk, and then I knew at that time I was going to turn my life around. I was going to become a better person. So I relate Cups Up. That's not someone serving coffee. That's a wake-up call to me that I can do better in life. George T. Mulvaney is the author of Cups Up, How I Organized a Clavern, Plotted a Coup, Survived Prison, Graduated College, Fought Polluters, and Started a Business. George, thank you very much for sharing your story with us. Thank you, Karen. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Creature Comforts. Then at 10, it's Season Pass. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.